We are going to continue in our series, um, and this is actually the last sermon, um, in the book of Ruth, and I want to invite the person who's going to bring this last word. Um, I'm sure it's going to be really, really amazing, so let me call him to the stage. David St. Jean, can you come to the stage? (laughs) That's me. get myself situated. They got me doing everything today. Um, it's all good. I love it, though. I love it. I love it. Let, let, let us pray because I need it. Um, there we go. We'll grab some water. Bad idea. All right. All right. Now that we're all good, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us everything we need to know about you and what you're doing through your word. Thank you for this book that has been life-giving, that has just been a blessing to us as a church as we go through it. And I pray that as we finish this, this series, God, that you would speak to our hearts, and God, that we would walk away differently than that when we came in. So thank you. Please, please speak your word. God, let it not be myself, but rather your spirit speaking. Thank you, God, for your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you, have you met Daniel St. Jean? Daniel St. Jean, if you don't know, is my brother. He's my younger brother. Um, say what you want about him, right? He's, he sleeps during sermons. He's always late. He's a, he's a trash talker. Say whatever you want about him to some degree because I'm still his older brother. I'll check you. Um, but because I know him all of his life, one thing that is undeniable about him is that he is fiercely loyal fiercely loyal. Let me give you an example. So Stephanie, my wife, we we started dating in June of 2013. So for our one-year dating anniversary, that's when we got married. See? She's my better half, right? (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for this later. Um, All right. So yeah, June 2010, right, we started dating. And For our first year of dating, our anniversary, I wanted to do something really special. So what I did was I planned a romantic evening at one of our favorite spots in the city. Now, um, what we were going to do, this was the plan. So we would have dinner at this really, really nice uh, Latin restaurant in uh, Lower Manhattan. That would be at 6 p.m. After that, around 7.30 we would head over to this spot that we loved and that we always went to when we were dating. Um, It's a spot in Hudson River Park. And when we got there, somehow, there would be a surprise picnic. And we'd be able to enjoy that picnic as the sun set over New Jersey. That was the plan, right? 
the question is, how, how would that work? How do, how do you have a, a surprise picnic if I'm at dinner from 6 to whatever, 7.30? That's where Daniel St. Jean comes into the story. So what I did was I arranged with Donnie, which is what we call him, I arranged for him to gather all the supplies for the picnic, all, the wine, the desserts, the flowers, the blanket, all of that. I arranged for him to, to, to gather that up before this, this picnic. And then at around about 7.30, he would, you know, set everything up, and then he would just, like, disappear. So by the time me and Stephanie walk up to our spot, wow, look at this. There's a picnic. How did that happen? Fellas, take notes. This, this is, this is, I got a lot of points to this one. I got a lot of points to this one. So that was the plan. So because that was the plan, I had already set up, all right, I'm going to show up at Stephanie's house at 2 o'clock. We'll hang out, exchange gifts. Um, and then, you know, when it's time to get ready, uh, you know, 3, 34 o'clock, I, uh, I'd let her go get ready. And pre pretty much I was there at 2 o'clock just to make sure that we leave by 5 so that we're not late. Uh, because sometimes we're late to things. Um, but I was there early, and I was like, we're not going to be late for this reservation. Little did I know that we would get hit by what is probably the worst case of I don't know what to wear ever. This, like, this still happens to this day. It's not as bad. I got I to gotta give you credit. It's not as bad. But this case was, like, unlike anything ever in history. Ever. And I think God set that up just because I could, just so I could share this in a sermon one day, like 10 years later. But she could not, for the life of me, figure out what to wear. And I'm like, we, we got a six o'clock reservation. We got to go. So I'm getting closer and closer to five o'clock. And I'm, I'm freaking out. So I'm like, yo, we, we have to leave. Like, this is a really good restaurant. We can't miss this reservation. So five o'clock rolls around. Still not ready. 5.30 rolls around. Still not ready. 6 o'clock rolls around. Still not ready. Finally, 6.30 rolls around. Still not ready. <laughs> 7 o'clock comes, and we are finally ready to leave. <laughs> now, in the meantime, I, I was, like, in touch with the restaurant. I was like, you know, we're stuck in traffic or, you know, something happened. Like, please, like, please push back our reservation. We're, we're on our way, but something happened. And they agree to do that. Now, I'm dealing with that stress. And then all of a sudden, this is again, 7 o'clock. We're in a taxi headed to this place. Then I start getting texts from Donnie. Donnie's like, all right, I'm in the area. Let me know when you want me to set things up. And I'm like, what? oh, crap, I forgot about Donnie. Like, he's, he's waiting to set up this picnic at 7.30, we're in a cab at 7 o'clock headed to this restaurant. And so I'm like, yo, bro, give, give me a couple of minutes. Just wait. I'll hit you up. I'll let you know when to start setting it up. Um, <laughs> and eventually we're at the restaurant, and he's just like, he's, he keeps sitting me up. I was like, are you closer? It's, like, it's 7.30, 7.45. We're sitting there having the time of our lives. And my brother's just like texting. I was like, where are you? Um, <laughs> I felt so bad. I just tell him, like, hey, honestly, we ran late. And I promise you, I will text you 10 minutes before you need to set it up. We finished dinner around 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. And so <laughs> I'm sweating. And <laughs> we take a cab and we head to the park. And the plan is to get there by 9.30. So I text Donnie. He's like, yo, I'm so sorry, man. We're about to be there 
Um, we show up to the park, and the picnic is there, and I see Donnie just look at me and just walk off and say nothing to me. <laughs> nothing to me. Like, this kid sat in a park for hours with flowers and a picnic waiting for us to come. And he, and he just he did it patiently. I don't know much people would have done that, honestly. Right? If, if I were him, I probably would have left. But he stayed. And he, he told me even after, um, as he was sitting there, he saw a couple like who was in love walk by, and they saw him sitting on the bench. And they're like, oh, they're like smiling. and like, yo, this kid is good. Hours later, I guess that couple finished whatever they were doing, and they're walking back, and they still see him sitting on the bench. And this time, they're like, tag, man. Like, she stood him up. What a sucker. <laughs> but that's the kind of brother, that's the kind of person Donnie is. Let's give it up for Donnie real quick, right? I don't know if he's here or not, but, like, I love you. You are as loyal as they come. That's Daniel St. G for you. We are wrapping up the book of Esther today. And there's a word. It's a Hebrew word. <laughs> I got so excited about Donnie. All right. <laughs> so we're, <laughs> and you guys were paying attention. That was a trick, trick uh, thing there. So we're wrapping up the book of Ruth. And there is a word. It's a Hebrew word that epitomizes one of the most prevalent themes of this book. That work is hesed. A good definition for the word hesed is faithful love. This is not like the, the lovey-dovey, romantic kind of love. It's, it's not that, right? It's, it's a love that's loyal, that's covenantal, that's active. This is the love that God has for his people, and it's often described. This is the love that the characters of this story have for each other. This is the love that my brother Donnie has for me. A biblical scholar says it this way. I like the way he says it. He says, Hesed is wrapping up in itself all of the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that goes beyond the requirements of duty. So as we wrap up this series, there are three main takeaways that I think we need to take away from this book as a church. And let's go through that. So let's, let's first turn to the, the scripture at hand, which is Ruth chapter 4, verses 11 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her. No, I lied. I'm sorry. I'm just really excited to preach today. All right. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephratha and be renowned in Bethlehem and make your and may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, 
who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a, a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Not to be confused with Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So where we're picking up from this story is the, the court proceedings for the redemption of Elimelech's land and the marriage proposal of Ruth from Boaz has now been completed. The people, they pray blessings on him and that family. They prophesy over him, over Ruth. And, and some of the things that they prophesy and some of the things that they pray over Ruth and, and, and Boaz, they're incredible things. So for Boaz, specifically, they, they pray, may you be blessed. May you be financially blessed. May your name live on in the, the stories of Israel forever. For Ruth, the, the prayers and the blessings they, they, they pray over her are, may you be fertile like Rachel and Leah. Your daughter, they speak of Ruth here, the, the, the woman in the neighborhood. Ruth is worth more than seven sons. This, this stuff is, is, is really crazy, specifically for Ruth. The prayer for her is that she would be as fertile as Rachel and Leah. And, and Rachel and Leah, if you don't know, they, they are the mothers of most of the sons of Israel, Jacob. And so what they're saying to her is, like, may you be as fruitful as our matriarch, our matriarchs in this case. When they say of her that she is worth more than seven sons, this is unheard of. Because a son at that time is essentially the legacy of a family. Having a son is a big deal. And what they're telling her is that of Ruth, she is more than having seven sons. And, and Ruth is a Moabite. Moabites were enemies of God. These were people that God used Israel to enact judgment on because of their wicked ways. So essentially, she's a sworn enemy of Israel. And you have people in the neighborhood proclaiming blessings on her that are just as, as profound as saying, may you be as fertile as our matriarchs. You are more valuable than seven sons. That's, that's who you are. And that, th these are the blessings and, and the prophecies that they're, they're speaking over the, these two people. And these, these people, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, they essentially get these, these prayers of blessing and honor because of their acts of hesed. Right? They showed incredible loyalty, incredible grace, kindness to each other. So for us, as we look at the story and how we can move forward from it, we should have the same level of hesed that these characters have for each other for one another. 
So looking back again at, at, at examples of how Ruth was displaying chesed or faithfulness to Naomi without any promise of a better future, of children, of riches, when faced with the decision to go back to Bethlehem, Ruth declares to, to Naomi, where you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. With, with again, no promise of a better life, looking at a life where she's going to be a widow, she's going to be poor, she does not abandon Naomi. And she doubled down and says, I'm, I'm with you till the end. That's incredible, incredible hasset. When we look at Boaz, Boaz shows incredible hasset to Naomi and Ruth. Boaz first does that by fulfilling the order to redeem this family, who is his kin. There was one guy before him, as we, we learned last week, who had the opportunity to do that, and upon the prospect of marrying Ruth, he's like, no way, I'm out. But Boaz is faithful. He's faithful to follow God's command to redeem this family. Boaz provides protection to Ruth as she's gleaning through the fields because she's looking to feed Naomi and take care of her family. And not only does he provide protection, but he gives her the space to glean what she needs. At times, he even gives her food. Ultimately, he marries her, and he saves her from becoming a poor widow because that's, that's what her future was, coming back to Bethlehem. So Boaz shows this incredible chesed to Naomi and his kin. So as God's people, we should look to their example and follow that model. We should be expressing that same kind of loving grace, faithfulness, kindness, mercy, devotion to each other. In light of that, who are the people in our lives that we are failing to show this kind of asset to, this faithfulness? Some of us, we need to show said to people who have honestly failed us, who have let us down. That could be a spouse. That could be someone who has betrayed their vows of marriage to you, who has been neglectful, who has not fulfilled their end of the bargain, so to speak. That could be a child a child that you love dearly, that you have in mind for them the best, that honestly doesn't care about what you have to say, that disregards you, that disregards your love for them, and just is set on doing their own thing. Some of us have people who are in this church that we need to show that kind of has said to because they failed us in some way, shape, or form. All right? These are people who have hurt us deeply or may have abandoned us, or you, know, you got into a disagreement, or you got into some kind of conflict, some kind of beef with them, right? And you've decided, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna do my thing, you do yours. I don't need to show this kind of love and devotion and kindness and grace to you, I just need to keep my distance. As God's people, we have to be committed to showing each other the kind of has said that we see 
from Ruth, from Naomi, from Boaz. We have to be committed to do that. That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway, God has said his faithful love to his people is immense. It's interesting that throughout this book that the person of God or the work of God, it's rarely mentioned. He doesn't come up as often. Even though, as Justin pointed out last week in the sermon, God was, God was at work, right? He was setting things up. He was putting people in the right places. God was absolutely at work. But as we come to the end of this book, we now see how God's grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness is absolutely clear. So the first way we see this, God allows Ruth to conceive. Ruth was with Malin, Naomi's son, her deceased husband, for 10 years. They never had any kids. We can assume that she was probably barren. But at the end of the story, what we see, God blesses her with a child. And not just any child. This is a child who will be in the line of David, who's going to be the greatest king. And then ultimately, Jesus, who is the greatest king ever. And this is Ruth, who, like I mentioned before, is a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's an enemy of the people of Israel. Yet God chooses her to be a part of this line that would ultimately bring David and ultimately Jesus. God shows incredible amount of graciousness, faithfulness, love, devotion to Ruth. Second way we see God's has said, God redeems Naomi and her family. When we come into the story, we, we see that Naomi loses everything. Her husband, her kids, any resources. She's dead broke and she's a widow. She goes from famine to absolute loss. She has nothing. When she comes back to Bethlehem, she has absolutely nothing. Yet, God provides a kinsman redeemer for her in Boaz, someone who's going to be able to essentially continue the legacy of her family, who's going to be able to provide for her. So Naomi gains a family after having lost everything. And this is, again, quite the family, right? Like, this is pretty big stuff. This is royal blood right here. So God restores what Naomi has lost, and even more than because she lost two sons, she got seven in Ruth, and a kid, and all of his blessing. So God shows his faithfulness to her. In Boaz, God essentially makes his name renowned. His name is renowned in the history of Israel, but it's even more so renowned in the history of the world because he is the great-grandfather of David. He's a part of that line. And ultimately, he is Jesus' grandfather by, like, a bunch of different generations. God does not forget this family. And that's because God doesn't forget his people. God never abandons his people. God never abandons his people. He works everything, be it good, be it bad, to accomplish his purpose. He's always working for our good. He's always faithful to save and deliver his people. And we see that 
in the cross because we see the lens that God goes to bring us salvation. Right? From one man, all of us have entered sin. God, through one man, Christ, saves us all through his death and his resurrection. God has gone through all the lens to show us that he is faithful to us. And his faithfulness, it, it far surpasses our failures, our victories. It's incredibly immense. God always fulfills what he promises. And this, is, this can be tricky to say because a lot of times, you know, we, we honestly believe like, hey, you know, God is going to give me good things, right? God is good. Like, God, I want health. God, I, I want to be wealthy. No one wants to be poor. Come on. God, I want to be wealthy. God, I, I want to be comfortable. These are not promises of God. And sometimes we cling to these things and we hold God accountable to, to giving me these things. God, you're supposed to make me wealthy. You're supposed to make me happy. You're supposed to give me the things that I ask you. That vision board that I have in my room, if I have enough faith, you will give it to me. That prayer list that I have, you will answer it. When in fact, that's not what God has promised. If he gives it to you, that's great. And those are good things. But that's not what he's promised. What God has promised to us is that in good times and bad times, his grace will be sufficient for us. His promise is that one day, he will wipe away every single tear from our eyes. One day, death will be no more. There'll be no crying. There'll be no pain. He's promised to take care of our needs as we seek his kingdom. He has promised to be with us to the end of all days. He has promised that nothing will be able to separate us from his love. He has promised to redeem creation and right every single wrong. He has promised that those who call upon his name will be saved. He has promised that blessed are those who are poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. God does not fail to keep his promises. These are promises that we can hold on to for dear life. No matter what we face, no matter what circumstances we are in, God is absolutely faithful, absolutely faithful to do everything that he's promised. He is with us in the everyday ordinariness of life, in your seasons of joy, in your seasons of sorrow. He is there, and he's faithful to be there. which leads me to the third takeaway. Because this is all true, that God's love for us is immeasurable, it's immense, it's sure, we can be encouraged to faithfully follow God through the ups and downs of life. In the face of trials and difficult season, like Ruth, we can cling on to him. Ruth's commitment to Naomi was crazy. Like, as I read through this story, my prayer was like, God, make me like Ruth. 
Ruth looking at a life where she's going to be a widow or she's going to be poor. And she was pretty young. Looking at that life for Naomi, this is what she says. Again, where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And I will be buried there. Can we say that to God in the face of our difficulties? Can we say that to him when that thing you're, you're, you're asking him for and you're waiting on him for, does it come? Or is delayed? God, I'm, I'm still single. There, there are no good prospects in this church. Not in this church. Um, <laughs> there are beautiful people here. But there's, there's no good prospects. God, I can't, I can't be in this relationship another day. God, these kids are driving me crazy. God, I, we're still in debt and we're still struggling. God, I got this report from the doctor. It does not look good. Can we say in those moments, God, wherever you lead me, I'm going. I am with you till the very end. Whether it works out well, whether it doesn't, like, I'm with you. I will die on that hill. Can we say that? Are we the type of people who are going to run to our idols? Who say to God, God, I've waited long enough for you to do this. It's my turn now. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to manipulate the situation to do what I think is right because you, you're not faithful to me. You haven't been kind. You haven't been gracious. I'm going to make this happen. Or God, I feel way more security in this idol that I love. I feel much more comfort in this, the sin that I love. I'm going to go there. God has proven in his faithfulness in his steadfast love to us, in his grace and his mercy, in his sacrifice, that in the face of all of these difficult seasons, that we can hold on to him, that it is better to cling on to him, even if we look foolish, than it is to go anywhere else or to do anything else. We are encouraged to follow him, to faithfully trust him. He's our king. He sees better than we see. Naomi, Ruth, they had no idea that they would go back to Bethlehem and be blessed with a child who would essentially write their names in history forever. They chose to faithfully Love each other and trust God. That's the example for us. Because we don't know what God will do with our simple acts of obedience. We don't know the the people that we will impact generations from now with our acts of obedience. 
we are encouraged because of his great love, his great steadfastness to follow him faithfully no matter what life throws at us, no matter where we are. In conclusion, God's love for his people is unfailing. The scriptures say his steadfast love endures forever. Despite you, despite your efforts, God's love endures. It's unfailing. His said to us is extraordinary. Because of his promise of unfailing love, we can be encouraged to love each other in that same way and also follow him faithfully no matter what comes. This, this sermon has, and, and this book in general, has been very impactful for me. Uh, even the one in Habakkuk. It's, it's hit home in so many ways. Um, and I, I struggled whether or not to share this or not, um, but I think God is telling me to do it. Um, but most of you know, again, I've been married to Stephanie for coming on nine years. I know that much. Um, nine years, right? And for the last six years, we have been trying to conceive. And that has been a very, very hard journey. Um, so many times we've, we've faced this disappointment. Um, so many times we've just seen other people that we love, like, and I'll tell you, I'm having a kid. And that's so bittersweet because obviously we love, and I mean, I know for sure I'm speaking for myself, it's bittersweet because it's like, I, I love the fact that you have a kid. I've been praying to God for a kid forever now. <laughs> and, and, and struggling with, and again, I'm speaking for myself, struggling with the idea like, God, like what I'm asking you is for a good thing. Um, and I'm seeing you give it to others. Can I have that too? Have you, have you forgotten about me? Have you abandoned me? Are you, are you not good anymore? Uh, Stephanie, who was amazing, um, she eventually got to this point where, like, whether God honors that prayer and gives us that prayer, that does not change the fact that he's not good, that he's not faithful. And essentially, you know, she came to a piece where it's like, hey, if it happens, praise God. If it doesn't, God is good. Meanwhile, I'm still like, I'm, I'm holding on to you for this, God. I'm not there yet. But I do know that ultimately, whatever you decide, I'm going to go and follow you wherever you lead us, whatever you do. The fact that you are good and you are gracious and faithful, I will not question that. I will not question that. We've been away for two months. The reason why we've been away for two months is because God has answered that prayer. We are 18 weeks, 18 weeks, 18 weeks pregnant. Well, she's pregnant. I'm not pregnant. Uh, I'm just like rubbing feet and, and like trying to cook food. But I say that to say because 
it, it would seem that the, the child and, and being pregnant is the sign of God's faithfulness. It would seem that him giving me a girl in, in four months is God's faithfulness to me. A girl. <laughs> you know where I stand. I'll take whatever I get. It would seem that that would be the blessing. That would be the, the sign of God to said to me, to Stephanie. But that's not the sign of Hesed. The sign of Hesed was the peace that he gave us. The peace in knowing that whether he does this or not, he's still faithful. Whether he takes me out of debt or not, he's still faithful. Whether he heals me or not, he's still faithful. Whether he provides or does not, He's still faithful. He's still faithful. You will not be ashamed. God will not make you look foolish when you choose to follow him. When you choose to tell people, no matter what my lot in life, I got God and I have everything. I have everything. I'm confident in him. This is how Ruth was. This is what I pray to be every day. God, make me like that. Make me like her. Make me faithful to the point where I, like, I look crazy following you, trusting in you. Because you don't fail. You do not fail. You work all things for our good. Whether we understand it in this life or not. So as I pray to close us, there'll be people on the side um, if you need prayer. What I pray that you take away today is the confidence that God is faithful. God is faithful to you whether things look great in your life or things don't, whether that prayer is answered or not, God is faithful. God does not fail. His promises are sure. He can be trusted. We can faithfully follow him. So God, we thank you. We thank you for Ruth's example. It's funny that you use someone who is not an Israelite, who is not given the command to love God and love their neighbor like themselves. It's funny that you use her to show us what that means. Holy Spirit, help us wherever we are. Help us to see that you are deathly committed to us, God. You will not let us go. That you are faithful to us. God, that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You can be trusted. Help us to say, where you go, I will go. You will be my God. If I have to die here in this situation, I will die knowing that I trust you. 
and that you are working all things for the glory of your name and for my good.